All right. You may wonder, Daniel, why I am wearing this shirt. It's because this is what I'm preaching on the next couple of weeks, is being rescued. So uh, I emailed this to someone. I said, make me a t-shirt like this. Bryce says the color is too red and so on. It doesn't work, he says. It doesn't work on the screens. So I was naughty and said to him, well, there's other few people at work where red shirts also don't work, but uh, so I'm going to keep on wearing it, you see. So, uh, so that's just <laughs> what I'm going to do. Anyway, so it's not my affiliation to anybody. It's just I like red, you know, that's, but not the, the lions. I really don't support them. Good. You know what? Over more than 35 years in ministry, I've had the privilege of seeing a lot of people come to know the Lord, not only through my own preaching and so on, but through others' preaching. Uh, I love it when I know that regularly down the road here at Rhema, people give their lives to the Lord. Down in Pretoria in a church that I know, people give their lives to the Lord, wherever and, and so on and so on. And, and it really excites me. You know, I, I see numbers of people who have responded in evangelistic crusades, Reinhard Bonker and the whole toot, and I think, wow, that's amazing. It's amazing. But you know what has saddened me over these years is that I've also seen a lot of people fall away from those commitments they make. And as the barn, we pray for disciples, not converts. We pray for disciples. So uh, we have seen, and I have seen, a number of people. Not only have I seen people fall away from their faith, but I've also seen people who don't really enter into what God has while walking in their faith. And they walk with a lot of baggage and, and stuff, and they walk with, uh, it seems like they are just not free. And that's what I really want to speak about here is that is in the next couple of weeks is living this rescued life. What does it look like? Because for most of us, it's my salvation. And we say, oh, I'm saved, so I'm saved, I'm rescued, I'm, 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 you know, I'm redeemed. But I think there is more to it. And I look at the church and I include myself in this picture. And I see that there is definitely a lot of us walking with a lot of bondage still in the church, and I'll pick up on it next week again as well. But, you know, let me say it again just in different words. What I've said a number of times this year from the church, from the pulpit here, is that for many of us, we have a desire to grow spiritually. And it's, a, it's admirable. It's great. It is fantastic. But I believe with all my heart that God wants us to go beyond a desire for personal growth into a relationship of service that produces acts of goodness, love, justice and generosity. That's what I believe with all my heart. And I think it's only then when we really start to experience what God means. And I'm going to read it a couple of scriptures to you this morning. But I think something's holding us back. There's a, I want to talk to you a little bit about, is it possible that Christians can be in bondage? Is it possible that Satan can suppress us or depress us and, and so on? Is it possible that a Christian can even be demon-possessed? And so those are the kind of things we're going to address a little bit in the next couple of weeks as well. So my friend, you know, I was so excited this week when we went out to the community on Tuesday. And, and we did a hard work, man, for hours working in gardens there. And, and, and we, we didn't have a massive group, but we sowed some good seeds. Uh, our staff went there and about 20 other people from church and so on. We had spades and forks and we're cleaning up there and, and community would come in and out there and ask us questions. Oh, what are you guys doing and so on? And we would be able to, because the Bible says, do these good deeds so that your Father in heaven will be glorified. And I think it happened. And many other things this week, which was really exciting as well. Mark chapter 16, let me read it to you uh, from the NIV. It says, Jesus is going to all the world, preach the good news of all creation. 
Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. That part we like. But whoever does not believe is already condemned. I said last week or the week before. That's an uneasy part is those are already condemned. But here's the part that we're missing out on. Here's the part that we're missing out on. And I'm talking to you and to me today. To all of us. To me as well today, okay? And I'm stirring in my own heart as well. And I think the church in general is asleep to this part of what the Bible says. And listen to what it says. And these signs will accompany those that believe. Colon. And when you get a colon, not in one year, that's normally swollen, you know. Uh, when you get a colon or a semicolon, it now has sort of a break to explain something needs to follow. And it says, then these signs will accompany those who believe. Listen to, my, to, to the Bible. Listen to the Bible. In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. They will drink deadly poison. It will not hurt them. And in the last, but, and they'll place hands on the sick and they may get well. It says they will get well. They will get well. You see, the passage here, we often refer to passages like this as the Great Commission, as what Jesus is, is the last command in a sense. You know, when people die, is they have a very important thing that they normally want to tell their, their, their family if they can get it out. And, and this is sort of really, people want to listen and say, what is he saying? What is he saying? Or what is she saying? And, and this was sort of the last command, not with his last breath, but when he, a last meal with his disciples say, this is what I want you to go and do. This is what you're got to do on my behalf. And this is what it says, if I just use one or two words for everyone. Go into the world, church. Go into the world. Preach the good news, church. And so that's my pastor's job. Oh, that's a missionary in Zambia that I know. Well. No, it is for every one of us. And then it says, and these signs will follow if and when you go. All right. People will speak in tongues. They will pick up uh, deadly snakes. They'll drink their poison. Now, now, I'm not suggesting you should go to your cupboard and start drinking your floor polish or something like that. But what I'm saying is, I think this is trying to tell us that, and there will be protection over you. And there will be protection over you. And then it comes and it says, and place your hands on the sick and they will get well. That's what he says, as you go. Now, this is the good news of the gospel. You see, and, and, and up to now, everybody will agree and say, this is the good news of the gospel. But let me tell you, for most of us, including myself and, and maybe you, is this just remains a good news message. But it needs to move on from a good news message into a good news method or into practice to do what Jesus says he came to do. Otherwise, we are failing. We're failing the mission of Jesus. You see, oh, we will be saved. And yes, some of us say, no, but I am saved. Most of us, oh, we will be healed. What about saying the same about my healing, by redemption, about driving out demons, about seeing the gifts of the Holy Spirit? It is not just future rescuing, future redemption. It is now, and I'll read it to you from the Old Testament as well. He will come to set the captives free now. He will break the yoke now. He will deliver now. That's what I read in my Bible. You see, I think, I think here's the problem, my dear friends. I think the problem is that we are walking around 
as believers because we get stuck on the second part of this where we just say, go and preach. The second bit, which is actually the four, five, six points, we, well, you know what, the Pentecostals believe that or the Charismaniacs believe that, but we don't really believe that, you know, it's, it, 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 it doesn't happen anymore. Uh, well, Jesus says, go and do it. And that's what I've got to do, all right? So I, listen to me, my dear friend. We are called to break the yoke, the bondage over people's lives and also have some broken over our lives. And I'll show that to you in a moment and in the next week as well. I think the church is walking with too much garbage. I think there's too much garbage in our lives. I think there's too much stuff that is tying us down. The past and the present stuff is, is tying us down so that we cannot live the future like Jesus wants us to live. I think the church is filled, and I include myself, with disabled believers who have the potential to become toxic. Isaiah 58. Let me read a couple of verses there. Listen to what Jesus God says, listen to him, is this not the kind of fasting that I have chosen, listen to it, to lose the chains of injustice and to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with a shelter? When you see the naked to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh. In our working in this community, there's an old guy, 72 years old. He's not that old, but he's older than me. He's living in a car with his dog and a blanket or two and he's sleeping he drives there and he goes and sleeps somewhere that's more secure at night as well. And we're asking ourselves, what, if, if this is what Jesus wants us to do, then we must do it. And, you know, and, and, and forget all the excuses about why we shouldn't do it. Because that is what the church, we get into all these arguments why we shouldn't do the stuff that Jesus tells instead of just going to do it and leave the results up to him. But there's oppressed people. I think there are even in the church oppressed people. Suppressed people. And so on as well. In the next few verses of that same passage, he goes on. After I said, is this not the kind of fasting that I want? That you would break the chains on people? That you would lose the chains of injustice and break those yokes? That you provide the hungry, set the oppressed free? Provide the hungry with food and those who need shelter? The naked, you would clothe them? And then he says, and then, and then. But you know what? We like the second part, but we don't want to do the first part. And the second part is this. He says, then your life will break forth like the dawn. And then only. When you've done the stuff I've just mentioned, then your life will break forth in the dawn. Your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear God. How many times have I heard people quote this? And the glory of the Lord will be your rear part without telling me that he first wants me to go and do the stuff in the verses I've read before. I want the lacquer stuff, but I don't want the sacrifice stuff. All right, there are people in our church, there's people in this community, there's people outside this community that are walking in bondage, oppressed and suppressed by Satan himself. And that's what I want to talk to you about, is what does it mean when we say, I am rescued. I have been delivered. We don't like the word deliver. So I'm using the word rescue. He wants to rescue us, okay? So let me tell you, the church, I, 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 I don't want to fool you. This is not going to be a trouble-free walk. Not at all, because he actually says, in that verse, he says, um, 
Then you will call on the Lord. He will answer you. You will cry for help. And he will say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, if you spend yourself on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your life will rise in darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. Listen to me. He will satisfy you in a sun-scorched land. In other words, things are hot out there, but he'll satisfy you. It's not all going to go easy. It's not always just going to get better because I am a believer. The church is not going to live without persecution. It will, should live victoriously while we're going through this stuff. Dear believer, I think for me personally, there is no greater joy than seeing somebody uh, and to achieve almost like a spiritual goal, to see somebody... uh, uh, like a spiritual victory to snatch somebody out of a, an oppressed life, out of the hands of the devil. To see somebody who, who had a destiny to go to hell has been delivered. There is no greater joy in my life. A sense of victory and, and just joy that comes into my, and I'm sure that some of you experience the same. There is no greater delight. Why? Because I'm doing, when I do this, the will of my Father. And when you do that, you're doing the will of your Father. And when you do the will of your Father, it brings you joy. He wants to restore the lives of people who are under a yoke, under bondage. I think if you want to live eternity for eternity in the glory of God's presence and the next to the Lord Jesus Christ in his presence we have to do everything that he has commanded us we have to carry out his ministry and continue to carry out his ministry here on earth not my ministry his ministry all you and I do is we carry out his job his his ministry is entrusted to us to do it not half but full I think we are disobedient to the command. But not only that, I think partly the reason, apart from disobedience, is, is because we are so crippled as believers that we're walking on crutches in church. We have so much garbage, garbage of lies and deceit and stuff about our past and hurts and this and apartheid. I don't know what all you can list that has, has, has clamped us down. And we're living under this yoke of bondage. And we've been robbed by the godly confidence to bring his message to a dying world. We have too much garbage, folks. And somebody's got to unloosen that sometimes over my life. And I'll get into that next week as well. Let me tell you something. The Bible speaks about a spiritual enemy that you and I have. Listen to me. Listen to me. The devil is not apathetic. He said, don't, don't, don't speak about the devil. Speak about Jesus. Let me tell you, you have to speak about your enemy as well. You have to be able to understand these tactics. You've got to be able to understand that there is a war. When there's a war, there's not just those who are victorious, but those are opposing as well. That's why it's a war. Otherwise, it's a walk in the park. All right? So there is, he's not, he has not been removed from Christians. It's the moment you give your life to the Lord, the devil says, oh, I can't touch that one. Oh, no, that's the best one to take. That's his view. Take you out. Silence you, discourage you, make you believe it's not true or it was maybe just an emotional decision. You see, he's not even standing outside your life. He's not standing outside the church this morning. The devil is not standing outside your family either. Have you noticed that? 
The devil and his angels are not keeping the church in a distance and say, you know what, they're so active we can't get close to them. He even gets inside the church. And I'll show it to you from Scripture in a moment. He's even inside the church. God's Word describes to me how this devil works. And if we don't understand how he works, he's going to twist us, he's going to squeeze us, he's going to take all our joy away and the rest as well. The first thing about Satan, I'm going to mention a number of things this morning for you to understand that the Bible says a lot about him, is he's a doubt sower. Oh, he's a doubt sower. You know, he did it in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 to 5, when he went to the woman and he said to her, listen, and I'll give you what I think he said, how he said it. And he says, now the serpent was more crafty, listen to this, than any of the other wild animals animals the Lord has made. And then he said to the woman, Septi, he says, did he really say? You see, when somebody comes like that to you, what are they trying? They so doubt. He didn't say, did he really say? No, he said, did he really say? Is, is that what God is saying to you? In fact, if I paraphrase this thing, and, 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 it's, and then a woman comes and she says, yeah, no, 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 we, we're not allowed to eat of this avocado pear here. I don't know what fruit it was. Let's just make it up. Uh, or whatever is your, is your, is your favorite fruit. Uh, we're not, not allowed to touch this. Did he say that to you? And then he comes and he says, you know what? Yeah, no, no, if we eat of this avocado, we're going to die. You are not going to die. It's not going to happen like this. All that's going to happen, and this is what God is scared of, that your eyes are going to open so that you will know good and evil. Don't believe it. Doubt it. He is a doubt sower. He's crafty, the Bible says. He's a doubt sower. He disables your faith. He sows doubt the moment you believe God will do it. He comes in with his doubt. Ah, you know, it didn't happen last time, did it? And there your faith goes as well. You see, when doubt steps in, what happens to faith? It reverses out. It has no choice. It has no choice. Not only is he a doubt sower, but he's also a testing agent. Story about Job, don't you know? Uh, God and Satan has a... They have a cappuccino in heaven, and I say that reverently, but it's probably not true. And, and, and he says, did you see my servant Job? He's doing, he's doing so well. I mean, he is blessed. He is, he's got everything he wants. And, and Satan says, exactly, exactly. That's why he serves you. Let's take it away from him. Let's remove that stuff. From him. And then you'll see that same man that's now glorifying you is going to curse you. I'm telling you the rule of virgin, virgin here, virgin here that is... So he goes out and God says, okay, you can touch him. You can touch everything he has, but you will not touch his soul. So Satan goes out and he clubs him left, right, and center. Test him to the limits. Still today, Satan is a tester. Tester of your faith, of your endurance, of your faithfulness. Satan is not only a tester, a testing agent, but he's an accuser. Oh, he loves doing that. Nah, you know, you know what, you, you just, you, you'll never make it because you, look, look what you just said. Look what you just did. It's, you're not good enough. You know, just the thought you thought now is, is disqualifying you. You know what I find so interesting in Zechariah chapter 3? There was a high priest called Joshua. And the high priest uh, stands before the angel of the Lord. He has a vision, stands before the angel of the Lord. 
And now here's the high priest, Joshua, and, and go and read it, and I'm paraphrasing again, with unclean clothes. In other words, he's a man. He's not clean. He's now representing the Israelites before God. And who's standing right next to him and saying, Joshua, unclean man, you're standing here on behalf of those other unclean people, and you're trying to represent God, and God to them, and them to God, that's eh, not going to work. Yeah, no, no, no. You are a failure yourself. And he points fingers to Joshua. And you know what the Lord said? And I think this is the angel speaking. And he says, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. And he says, listen, the Lord, it is him who chose Israel. And today there's somebody else standing in heaven, Asanda, who is not Joshua, but his name is Yeshua. The Lord Jesus Christ. He did not fail like Joshua. And he stands perfectly next to the Father. And when Mignon goes in there and Satan goes, then Jesus says, no, I am righteous. And God looks at Mignon through my glasses, my spectacles. Righteous. He's an accuser. How many times has he pointed finger to you lately? You mess up, man. And so on and so on. He's not only that, but he's also a tempter. You see, we have a real enemy here, my friend. This is not a walk in the park. He's not removed from you because you love Jesus or say you love Jesus. As Satan is, 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 a, is a tempter as well. He did it with Jesus in the wilderness. And he goes out to Jesus after 40 days. If you have not eaten for 40 days, let me tell you, Sonica, if I just wave a piece of toast at a meter away from you, you'll be on your knees. So he knew Jesus had a need here. He was hungry. He was thirsty. This is a physical need. And my physical needs sometimes drive me insane. He said, yeah, I can see that. And he goes and he says, you know what? There's stones. You can do this. Jesus could, couldn't he? He was the son of God. But he didn't. Because he looked at him and he says, man shall not live by bread alone. Then he goes and he, another tactic. And he says, come, let, let, let me take you in a vision. Let me take you to the city. We're going to stand on this wall. And, and he said, you know what? Just jump. And the angels will carry you. That's what the Bible says. Eh? He even quotes the Bible. He says the angels will carry you. And he says, listen, let me tell you, Satan, that's also not going to happen. That's also not going to happen. Because the Bible says, don't put the Lord your God to the test. All right. So he tries once more. He is not giving up. And, and this tempter does not give up. He does not give up. And there's, there's ways to deal with him, and we'll come to that later as well. And then he goes and he says, Nahal, now he's really got a cheek. And he says, you know what, check, check out all these kingdoms here. I'll give it all to you if you just fall down and worship me. What a cheek. What a cheek. And Jesus looked at him, maybe, I don't know if he had a smile on his face, and he says, you know what, Satan, get away from me. Because the Bible says, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And Satan disappears. You see, he does not stop tempting us. You open your eyes, he tempts you. You fall asleep, he even tempts you in your dreams. He's not only that, but he's also a stumbling block. And not only is Satan a stumbling block, he causes us to be a stumbling block as well from time to time. Matthew 16, 23. Listen, listen to me, please, please, please. Listen to who Jesus is speaking here. Here's one of the disciples, Peter. And Jesus addresses him like this. When Peter started to question Jesus' suffering and so on. And, 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 and Jesus, 
he, he turns to Peter. Listen, listen to what he says to Peter, his disciple, one of the inner circle three. And he says, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. Yo. If I had to speak to somebody like that in church this morning and say, get behind me, Satan, you're a stumbling block to what God wants to do in this community. The whole church will be gone next week. I will have to restart the button. All right? And so on. But that Jesus is addressing a disciple like this. So can this stuff happen in church? It does. Not only can, but it does. Satan is also a betrayer, not only a stumbling block, but a betrayer. He gets to do this. Another disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't it nice to work with people like this? The one who's to derail you, and the other one sells you out. Huh? And, 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 he, and, and, and listen to us. He says here, Satan entered Judas. That's what it says. And then he goes on and he gets him to betray Jesus. Is this possible to happen in church? I think so. Because I think like Judas, Judas on externally was a believer, but internally was probably still living in rebellion and in sin. That's easy to do. That's easy to do. You can be among us and I can be among you. And it externally looked like this holy man. And yet inside my heart, I'm not really born again. And I do this kind of stuff. And the question is, how do I betray Jesus? Because that's what he wants to do. Satan wants us. You know, Satan is a murderer and a liar. People say to me, you know, Pakistan, all those people that are getting killed, Uganda, all those Christians. We're living in a time where Christians are mowed down in some part of this world. It's unfortunate, so, but it's true. And people say, how can God allow this? Let me tell you, there is an enemy. There is a war, and the war is messy, and there is a liar. There is a murderer. There is a thief that kills and destroys, and that's why these things are happening. Can God stop it all? Yes, he can. Like he could turn bread, uh, stones into bread. Like he could carry himself when he jumped. Oh, he could, but he didn't. And I don't understand it. But I do understand that in this picture, there is an enemy that steals and destroys a murderer and a liar. John 8, 44. You belong to the father, to your father, the devil. And you want to carry your father out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. There is no truth in Satan. When he lies, he speaks his native language. Nothing that comes your way from him is good or true. He's alive. He's well. In John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes to steal and destroy. He's a thief, a killer, and a destroyer. He's after your faith, he's after your conscience, he's after your heart, and I'm including myself in it as well. That's how he kills, steals, and destroys. Let me tell you something, he is active even in the church. It's time, church, to wake up and open our eyes and smell the roses. In Acts chapter 5 verse 3, he says this. He is active among believers. Who is this believer I'm referring to? Here's Ananias and Sapphira. Believers. Just been baptized in the Holy Spirit. They all give their stuff away. And he comes and he lies. Listen to what the Bible says. Peter turns to Ananias and says, Ananias, how is it that Satan has filled your heart? Talking to a believer, a fellow believer. 
and he dies on the spot. He's active among believers. This door must be closed to him all the time. Whether he appears on TV with immorality and lies, and, and I don't know why we watch murder movies and immoral movies and think it's okay. And we're not defiling ourselves. You know, he goes out to outward believers with his schemes. I'm getting to a close in a moment. Yeah, just stick with me and so on. And he goes out with his schemes. And, and in this context of the scripture, it speaks about forgiving the, the brother who has sinned and, and so on against you and, 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 and so on forgiving. And he says, anyone you forgive, I also forgive. Uh, Paul writes, and he says, what I have forgiven, if there is anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us. In other words, what he's saying to us here is Satan is out to outwit us. He's not messing around, folks. This is not some psychic movie that we are watching. This is reality. He's also out to lead us astray. He wants to lead your mind astray. 2 Corinthians 11.3. But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your mind may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion. I think this is happening at a, an alarming rate. This thing. People's minds are being led astray from the pure devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. In 2 Thessalonians, it speaks about him as being a counterfeit. He is not the truth. The Bible says he doesn't know truth. He's a counterfeit. And it speaks about the man of lawlessness that will be revealed. And you know how he is going to come? He is going to come in such a sly way that many won't even know it's not him. Because he says he's going to do signs, wonders, and miracles. And we're all going to say, ha, ah, he's back. Jesus is back. All right? He is out. He's a counterfeit. So here's, here's some things that you and I have got to do. I'm almost done. We have got to understand we are in a spiritual struggle. You've got to understand it. You are in a spiritual struggle. Ephesians chapter 6 very clearly states it to us. Put on the armor of God therefore and take up your stand. Listen to how many times stand. You can count it as I read it. Take your stand against the, the, the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world. He tells us this is not a physical match. This is a spiritual match. This is a match for your destruction. It's leading to your eternal damnation. And he says there, therefore put on the full armor of God so when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you, you have everything to stand, I think he's trying to get a message here. He says, stand because there's an enemy stealing and destroying. And he said, stand firm then with the belt of truth four times already. Buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith. There's a battle. There's a struggle. Oh, I don't want to talk about Satan. Let's talk about Jesus. No, you've got to know your enemy. You've got to know your enemy. Not only do we need to understand we're in a struggle, but this simple verse tells me how to do it. Resist the devil. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. Amen. Ah, it's so powerful this. That, that, that 16 age rate, uh, age, whatever movie comes on there, sex, violent language and all kinds of stuff. And you go, oh, you know, you know how, how it works, Jock? Is you take that remote in your hand and you push that button so hard and you say, in Jesus' name, this is not for me. This righteous person will not be unclean to watch this 
I don't know if there's a nice word for it. Rubbish. I was going to say something, but I'm not going to say it. We're in church. Then he say, I urge you to stay alert. Stay sober. Alert, in other words, awake, sober. A uh, person that's intoxicated, con- concentrates a lacquer. Yes, the simple thing. Yes, the simple thing. The simple thing is this. There's a battle. You are in the battlefield. You're there in the middle of this valley. There's God and his angels. There's Satan and his angels. Your soul is the aim. Your soul, your life is the aim. There's a war on for your soul to destroy your life. Now let me tell you something, my friend. This is where we've got to stop and reassess because this is what I find all the time and we've got to be alert and, and, and resist truth, uh, uh, live for truth and resist stuff that is not good as well. But, but when you are in the battlefield, some of us have been in, in, in battle and I'm not saying it was good what we did, but you know when you've been a soldier and you're there in a battlefield and your commander says to you, down, yes, you hit that deck. You don't say, excuse me, sir, stop a minute here. Let, let me just ask you, is there really an enemy? How many of them are, what guns are they using? Is that real ammo? Is it rubber bullets? And on this thorns, never will I lie down on this ground. My, my, I'm not making my clothes dirty. So please, a mat, then I'll dive down. You know what? You haven't even thought of that. You're just down on your stomach and you are alert. What am I saying to you? When the master says, do it, stop arguing. Ah, man, I'm sick and tired of, let's theologically understand, you know, there's place for it. But sometimes when you come to a person, you talk about this, they say, well, you know, I don't know. You know what? When Jesus says, heal the sick. When Jesus says, pray for them. When Jesus says, drive out the demons. When Jesus says, what else did he say in that passage that I can't get to now because I'm distracted by this thing? Lay hands on the sick. You know, first, Jesus, let's talk about this now. Did you really mean that? Was that maybe not for when you were alive and not when we were alive? You know, no. Just do it. That's what a servant does. Just do it. If somebody working in your house and you say, please go and iron my clothes, and they explain to you why they think that it's maybe not a good day to do this, or maybe the ironing board is a little bit old-fashioned and, and, and the steam doesn't come out so lucky anymore, they don't do that. It's the same in the kingdom of God. When he tells you, you do it. Lay hands on the sick. Drive out the demons. These signs will follow. That's what we do. Ah, but I don't know, it hasn't worked last time. That's not my business. I just want to do it because this is what he says. Go and preach the gospel and these signs will accompany you. And then he says, go and make disciples in Matthew chapter 8, 28. And, and he tells us and he says, and teach them to do everything I have commanded. Do it. Everything that I have commanded. My dear friend, if we are committed to do what he wants us to do, you know what he promises? I tell you, I will be with you always. Not Otto is going to be the best ride. Otto is not going to be paved with gold. Otto, that's going to cost you something. Otto, that's going to be pain at times. Otto, your neighbors are going to reject you. Otto, they're going to say ugly things about you. But let me tell you, I'm going to be with you. Otto, the sun-scorched earth you're going to walk on, but I'm going to be with you. Ah, that's, that's, that's all I want. 
is the presence of God. That's what I want. All right, so there's a war out there. The enemy is real. I want to talk a little bit about you and me. When we say, I am rescued, is there stuff maybe that he needs to rescue us from even though we are in church? Let's talk about that next week.